Today's podcast is brought to you by Howie's new book, Paperboy. To order today, go to HowieCarshow.com and click on store. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio, it's the Grace Curley Show. You can read Grace's work in the Boston Herald and the Spectator. The Grinch did not steal Christmas. Here's the millennial with the mic. They want you to say Grace. Grace Curley. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I can't believe we're already in the second hour, and I'm so excited to be here. As always, thank you for everyone who called in the first hour. Some great points there. We will get back to some of those conversations, including talking about the fact that Harvard has confirmed that Claudine Gay will remain president um, of the university. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But joining the program now, very excited, David Harsani, a terrific writer for The Federalist, is coming on the show. David, thank you so much for taking the time to join The Grace Curley Show today. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, David, before we get into your latest piece, which I loved, it goes into the Hunter Biden 56-page indictment, I want to rewind a little bit to something you wrote a few weeks ago. I talked about it on this show, and it's regarding Biden, Inc. And you gave your readers a short history of Biden's long record of lying about his son's businesses. Now, your piece describes how both Joe and the White House's narratives around Hunter Biden's influence peddling businesses has evolved. That's a nice way of saying it has evolved over the years and not really in a subtle way. Can you give the listeners a little refresher on how Biden has moved the goalposts? Sure. Well, initially, uh, when asked about this during, well, it it actually came up even before, but let's just go back to 2020 election where he was asked about a pretty straightforward, you know, have you, um, yeah, I forgot how was it asked, but have you participated in the business? Have you, you know, did you get, get any benefits from this business that was going on while you were vice president and after? And he point blank said, no. I think he once said, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he said basically that I've never even spoken to my son Hunter about what's going on in, uh, you know, what went on in Ukraine with his business. And I don't, uh, and then he also said he never made any money, um, you know, from any kind of Chinese interest. And then, you know, as the years went on, and he's barely asked this, occasionally someone will ask, who's sort of right of center reporter or something, will ask him about it. And then the White House recently changed it to he has never been in business with his son, which is a very Clinton-esque way of framing it. It is, uh, you know, it, what it is, um, because now we know that he had lied. He did know. There are emails that prove it. He met with people who, who were, you know, uh, who at least he created the perception or, or or on purpose that that there was some kind of influence peddling and trading going on and stuff like that with the Chinese uh, folks and with the Ukrainian folks and maybe with others. We don't know. Yeah. And David, now fast forwarding to what we have, uh, what we received last week, which is this 56 page indictment from David Weiss. A lot of people and it makes sense. You know, there were there were some splashy headlines there. Various women, you know, escorts, a lot of money being spent, a lot of cash being taken out of ATMs. I'm guilty of sin of, you know, running with that for a lot of the show because it's fun to talk about. But what a lot of people are focused on is what special counsel David Weiss indicted Hunter on. From reading your last piece, it seems like you don't want people to lose sight of what Weiss didn't indict Hunter on. Yeah, I mean, we're always, because it is fun and sad in a way, where, you know, if there's crack and and prostitutes and drug dealers involved and stuff like that, which he wrote off, uh, 
as you know on his taxes. That's interesting to talk about, and it is funny. However, um, that's not the real. The, the real story here is not Hunter; it's Joe Biden, and the. There are charges here that should have been filed, it seems to me, at least, on how Hunter did not register as a foreign agent but made money from foreign companies, that he did a lot of foreign business that seems pretty shady and illegal, um, that he has not been, that Weiss did not go after him on. Now, some of it he can't do. It's too, those are too, the charges would be too old, but some of them he could, but he keeps avoiding that. Anything that would lead Joe Biden having to sit down in front of someone under oath and give testimony is avoided. And I think that that's what's important here. Weiss has been from the beginning protecting, it's clear to me, protecting Joe Biden from any kind of questions. Now, I'm not saying Joe Biden did something illegal or anything like that. But what he did, it seems to me there's plenty of evidence that what he did was corrupt, either by creating the perception that he was part of this business, which is it undeniable? There is no Biden Inc. without Joe Biden. It just doesn't exist. Hunter Biden has no special skills for this guy, you know, to be an oil, you know an expert on oil in the Ukraine. He is not. He has no skills. It's all about Joe Biden, and Joe Biden allowed either allowed this and benefited from it, or even if he didn't personally benefit from it. I mean, this is a constant thing with the media. He didn't directly benefit. Well, if I do something that enriches my whole family, I am benefiting from it. That is uh, corruption as well. So it's important to remember all that stuff when we talk about Hunter. Yeah, I'm speaking with David Harsani from The Federalist. One aspect of your latest piece, which I really appreciated, is you talked about this attempt by the Sunday morning shows, that's how you describe them, to make Hunter and Joe kind of the victims in this sordid tale. And this is something, David, that I think a lot of conservatives have had to argue against, is if they bring this up, they're accused of not being sympathetic towards people with addiction. You're not buying that excuse. Well, first of all, he set these businesses up before, as far as we know, he was addicted and continued to cheat on his taxes after he supposedly went straight. But more more than that, I mean, the, the jails are filled with people of terrible stories of addiction, and we don't you know, what are we supposed to do if you're addicted to drugs? You, you're allowed to, to do things that are illegal. That's not a good argument. Um, but more than that, we're talking about a person who is, um, you know, he was a middle-aged man. He wasn't some college kid. He was a, in his 40s and 50s. Um, he, he went to Yale. You know, he's a lobbyist for internet. He's a millionaire. He is, lives in the most privileged kind of life you can imagine. And I'm sorry for what happened, you know, to his family, but that's no excuse for breaking the law year after year after year. And, um, and, and, you know, this idea that he's some kind of victim here or that Joe is just helping him because he lost another son, that's not even true. Because Joe took Hunter Biden on Air Force Two to China and met with a person he was setting up one of these funds with. That's before his brother and, you know, back slash son passed away. So... Um, I think it's pretty rickety excuse for them. Yeah, and and we don't have to get into it much further than that um, because I want to ask you about other topics. But one thing I'd add to that is that for someone who everyone's trying to paint Joe as like this sympathetic father figure and, oh, you know, he just felt bad for his son. 
I, I think a lot of fathers, and I'm not trying to judge anybody's situation, but I think a lot of fathers in this case, if you knew your son was addicted to drugs, you might say to them, maybe going to Ukraine, maybe being on this board, maybe doing this and that. Maybe that's not what's best for you right now. Maybe you need to figure your uh, figure out your life. It seemed like Joe was more than happy to help Hunter with all of these endeavors. Um, David, I wanted to switch gears here a little bit. It's still kind of on the same track. You mentioned in this piece that Hunter's laptop is crammed with emails referring to the big guy's role in taking cuts from uh, the businesses. Some of the former intelligence agents who signed on to a letter discrediting that laptop uh, and saying it had all the earmarks of Russian disinformation, they're back. And now they're signing on to a new letter urging Congress to reauthorize FISA 702 legislation. Can we get your reaction to that, David? Well, anyone who signed on to that initial letter was lying, right? I mean, it was a political, politically cynical lie. They had no reason to believe uh, that the laptop that, that the New York Post had, had it gotten its hand on was, was Russian disinformation. That was just completely concocted. People like John Brennan, I'm not sure about all the names on the letter, but they're already known liars. I mean, he, Brennan spied. He's on the letter, right? He's on. I think he's on the uh, the letter discrediting the laptop. I know that Clapper's on the letter for the FISA seven hundred two legislation. Uh, okay. it's Clapper and Mike Morell. Okay, so let's take Clapper, who lied to Congress um, about illegally spying on Americans. Now, that's not a person that any of us should trust. In fact, that's a person who should be sitting in front of Congress right now, answering for for that lie, being prosecuted. And many of other people who were on that initial letter and this one, again, I'm not exactly sure which ones are on both, but anyone who is, is not anyone we should trust. Um, and obviously, I'm against any kind of, uh, I, you know, I think, I think FISA and all that needs to be reformed. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, there is no good use ever for, for, for that kind of program to try to, you know, stem terrorism or whatever. But the way it's been abused it is clearly in need of, of being um, reformed and the folks who abused it should not be lecturing on, on you know us on what needs and needs not to be done. They should be answering for what they have done. With yeah, at the very least, I agree. David Harsani, I have one more question for you. Um, the the vice president's husband, Doug Emhoff, he's in a little bit of hot water today. He put out a tweet yesterday explaining the story of Hanukkah. Um, and a lot of people took issue with this tweet. Have you had time to look at that and kind of seen the response? And if so, could you explain where he went wrong? If you mean by did I have time to look at it, yes. If you mean laugh constantly at it for about a half an hour. So his uh, tweet was about, uh, you know, how Hanukkah is about Jews hiding, well, well, lighting things it was one it was actually seemed like very kamala-esque in the way that it was just a swirling bunch of words that didn't really mean very much but basically it's about how jews had hidden and you know tried to make light and this and that but that's not what hanukkah is about the lighting of the candles i know you know it's not even in the original story it's a talmudic add-on you know it's mostly about a revolution and a war where jews did the opposite of hide actually you know they were out there uh, fighting but everything you know, everything has to be politicized. Everything has to be framed in whatever kind of political, you know, whatever the trendy political stuff that's going on is about. And, and you know, that's what the second is that the second gentleman did yesterday. I think they deleted that tweet because I looked for it this morning and it wasn't around. 
Um, but it was either written by him, and he knows nothing about Hanukkah, or it was written by an intern who knows nothing about Hanukkah. Either way, it shouldn't have been tweeted out. Yeah, I'm waiting to see. Uh, they did delete it. I'm waiting to see if they toss an intern under the bus. I think that's the next step here. David Harsani, we thank you so much for joining us. Can you let people know where they can follow you on Twitter and where they can read all of your columns? Sure. Uh, I'm at David Harsani, H-A-R-S-A-N-Y-I, one word, on Twitter, and they can read me mostly at thefederalist.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, sir. We appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. I love all of David's work. He's one of my favorite columnists, so make sure you check out all of his stuff. He does a really good job of explaining things that sometimes I find very complicated. He kind of simplifies it in a nice way. So check that out. In the past couple years alone, close to 50 satisfied Grace listeners have allowed J.J. Manning auctioneers to sell their valuable real estate assets quickly, contingency-free, and for the highest price the market will pay. Justin Manning is joining the show tomorrow. And I'm really excited because I listened to his interview with Howie last week, and he was talking about how the market's changing. The market's changing right now, especially for buyers. Buyers are starting to get a little bit more power back. And so we're going to talk to him about that. But he's just, he's an expert. He knows what he's talking about. And he knows everyone at J.J. Manning Auctioneers, they know what they're doing. Because since 1976, J.J. Manning's project-based approach of selling real estate has generated positive results for individuals, families, builders, companies, banks, estates, you name it. You set the sale date. You have one consolidated open house. There's no, you know, hey, can we come by at two o'clock, clean the house, get everything ready a million times. It's one consolidated open house. There's no surprise. There's no last minute showings. And the sellers are not left out in the cold, wondering about interest on their property. You don't have to worry, am I getting the most value? That's always, I think, people's number one concern. Am I making the right move here? Is, is my property worth more? Am I selling it for less than I should? With J.J. Manning Auctioneers, there's no distress because you set the terms, you sell contingency free, and the buyer is going to pay all the commission. J.J. Manning uses their 30-30 marketing plan. That's 30 days of advertising and 30 days to close. No haggling and no changes to your deal. So to learn more on how to get your commercial, residential, or land sold quickly, contact Charlie Gill at 800-521-0111 or go to jjmanning.com. Again, that's 800-521-0111 or go to jjmanning.com. I want to talk a little bit about this FISA court when we come back. We'll take your calls on it. We will also be playing. I think it's I think it's time, Emma. Emma's on the board right now. I think it's it's been a while since I've played Joe Biden, you know, for my own sake, for my own mental health. But I think enough time has passed. We might have to play a little bit of sound from the president. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is the Grace Curley Show. You're listening to the Grace Curley Show. This is the Grace Curley Show. Everybody, to the Grace Curley Show. Today's poll question is brought to you by the Nosset Beach Inn. It's the perfect way to have a little winter getaway to enjoy the holiday spirit, the Christmas spirit. 
and you can reserve your room. Go to go to com. That's nossetbeachin.com to reserve a room for under $200. Emma Foley is on the board. Emma, what is the poll question and what are the results thus far? Today's poll question is, should Republicans appear on liberal-leaning channels or shows? Yes, it's good to get the message out, or no, it's a trap. I'm going to say, yes, it's good to get the message out. Only 42% agree with you. 58% say, no, it's a trap. Again, if I could craft this to my own perfect response, which I can't because it doesn't do well and numbers-wise if we give too many options here, I would say, yes, conservatives should go on these talk shows if they can handle it. Like, if you are cut out for it, if you can take the heat then you can be in the kitchen. But you have to know what you're up against. You know, you have to know that the knives are out for you. You can't go in there. And sometimes I see this. Sometimes I'll get like a random, I shouldn't say random. This is like the Canton uh, town hall meeting. Sometimes I'll get a Republican in there who seems sweet, a Doug Burgum type, you know, seems like a nice guy, but they go on there thinking they're going to get a fair shot at it. And then you see them kind of melt down when they're confronted with biased coverage and biased questioning from a Jake Tapper type. You got to go in there and you can't let them fluster you and you've got to be a fighter. And so far, the best person I've seen do it might be Vivek Ramaswamy. And he's gone viral several times because of it. And he's really helped his own persona or his, you know, his own profile by getting out there and getting his message out there. But people have been offering up other suggestions. And one uh, that someone just tweeted at me, which I agree with, is Byron Donalds, the representative from Florida. He's another example of someone who I saw him go up against Joy Reid at one point. And when you're going up against Joy Reid, you're going up against an MSNBC host who's completely delulu, as the kids say, but you're also going up against the time-traveling hacker. So it's really two versus one. And he handled it beautifully. So I'm keeping a list. I'm like Santa Claus. I'm keeping a list. I'm checking it twice. If you have other suggestions of people who have proven that they can handle a -a tete-a-tete, then you can... Send that in. And I'll I'll mention them throughout the show. I know there's a few people I'm forgetting. I know there's a few people. Carrie Lake's actually pretty good at it. She's, you know, she's from TV. She knows how to handle it. You have to have good timing, concise points, and you have to be able to handle the frustrating line of questioning from the morons at these liberal leaning networks. Uh, 844-500-4242. I'm going to save Emma. I'm going to save these Biden cuts for when we get back. I got to kind of go over what I'm looking at here. Biden was at a Hanukkah celebration and he was, he was Joe Biden. You know, he was really proving that things are not getting any better. Actually, speaking of that, There's this new theory out there. It's from The Messenger. I'm not familiar with The Messenger. I think it's liberal-leaning. But they have a story out there about how with Hunter's indictment that dropped last week, 56-page indictment full of, you know, money that he spent on hookers and drugs, they're now saying that Biden has the perfect opportunity to bow out. This is by Albert Hunt. It says, President Biden has the perfect reason to bow out of the presidential race. To come to the aid of his troubled son, Hunter, who was just indicted for tax evasion. 
this would merge two realities. Since his wife and young daughter died in a car accident more than 50 years ago, Biden has been caring, a caring and concerned father, and the 81-year-old incumbent is in real danger of losing the 2024 election to Donald Trump. Here's, this is what I can't stand about these liberal writers. is They don't care about any of the things they pretend they care about. They don't care that Hunter Biden's addicted to anything. They don't care that Joe Biden's had tragedy. They care about the second part of that sentence, that he's in danger of losing the 2024 election to Donald Trump. That's the end game for them. We'll talk about this when we come back. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. We're taking calls now for the rest of the show. It's 844-500-4242. Kind of two main things I'd like to discuss. One, if you want to call in about Claudine Gay staying on as the president of Harvard, you're more than welcome. And also, I want to talk about this new theory floated by Albert Hunt, which is that Hunter Biden's indictment provides Joe with the perfect opportunity to gracefully bow out of the presidential race in 2024. He actually wrote a little speech that Joe Biden could deliver to make it even easier for him. And this drives me crazy about the left. They want to pretend they want to pretend that they care about Joe and that we're being mean. And like David Harsani said, that that Hunter's a victim and, you know, it's it's conservatives who are pouncing and seizing on his addiction and weaponizing his addiction and ridiculing his addiction. That couldn't be further from the truth. And they give away the game, though, because what they really care about, and it's why they're oftentimes successful, is what they really care about is winning. So listen to this sentence. It says, since his wife and young daughter died in a car accident more than 50 years ago, Biden has been a caring and concerned father. And the 81-year-old incumbent is in real danger of losing the 2024 election to Donald Trump. Those two things are in the same paragraph. I don't understand how, how one leads to the other. Well, actually, I do, because what they're saying is, it's not that he's actually a caring and loving father. It's that that can be his excuse. They, the way they frame excuse, Jared, is perfect opportunity to bow out. Joe Biden has the perfect opportunity to bow out. Joe Biden can once again use his son Hunter to help his political career. And that's what it is. I mean, we give Hunter a lot of grief here, but Hunter is just a pawn. Hunter is just a pawn. And I think Hunter, what Hunter provides is so much evidence that Joe Biden is not the caring and concerned father that the left would have you believe. Joe Biden, and this is where I'm curious if people disagree with me, I think Joe Biden enabled a lot of this for a long time as far as his son's addiction. Because I think that Hunter was the bag man. And Joe had no problem making all of this money. It probably would have been a tougher, tougher call for him. It would have been a less lucrative call for him to say to his son, you're not taking that job. You're not doing that. You're not going to China. You're not getting diamonds. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. That would have been a harder decision for Joe Biden's wallet. And he didn't make it. Instead, he's, I love my son. I love my And this is what they want him to say. This is Albert Hunt. This is their idea. This is the, the speech they want Joe Biden to give. 
Folks, I deeply love this country and hope to build on all our accomplishments, serving you for four more years. I also deeply love my son, who faces additional legal charges. While I am convinced that he is innocent, I want to be there for him. That would be almost impossible if, in addition to being president, I were engaged in what promises to be a vicious campaign. Therefore, I will not run for re-election. The left is giving Joe Biden this and saying, this is a really good chance for you to use to use your son's legal problems as a way to get out, which we want you to do. And I think Joe's going to start to see the writing on the wall. Like, at first it comes as a suggestion, and then it's going to come as a demand. That's how the left operates. They might suggest something gently. So we think this might be good for you. We think it might be good for you to take care of your son and his issues. And then it becomes a little bit more, it would be a shame if it wasn't good for you. It would be a shame if you didn't take our advice. And then they'll force him out. But my biggest issue with that statement is that anyone would believe, like, that would be fine. They're not wrong strategy-wise for Joe Biden to say, hey, you know, my son's going through it right now. He needs me. He needs my support. But that is is only if Joe Biden in any world would be willing to do that. And he wouldn't be. Joe Biden, despite what the media has told you, is a narcissist. He is power hungry. Joe Biden thinks about Joe Biden. He's the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. And he's not not going to run for president even if even if it's just an excuse, he's not going to say, oh, it's, my son needs my help. No, it's all about Joe. And that actually brings us to our next segment, which is all about Joe. Joe Biden was at uh, the White House Hanukkah reception. And there's one cut I want to play because I'm just I'm baffled by this. Joe Biden brings up himself at every opportunity. We always say he's like Forrest Gump. But he also brings up his dad a lot. And there are certain occasions where maybe I'm just naive, but I think to myself, there's no reason for what, what's his dad's name? Frank? Is it, is that the old man's name? Frank? Oh, is it Joe? It's also Joe because he's the oldest. Okay. So Joe senior. Yeah. Cause he's Joseph Robinette jr. Okay. So there's, there's some occasions where I think there's no reason for him to bring up big Joe. There's no reason for him to bring up Joe senior. In any world. This would be one of those occasions. It's a Hanukkah reception at the White House. After the worst slaughtering of Jews since the Holocaust. And you're the president of the United States. Why are you bringing up your father? I just have no idea. That's coming from someone I talk about my dad all the time. I get made fun of for talking about my dad all the time. But if I was at a White House Hanukkah reception as someone who's not Jewish, I don't think I'd make the story about my dad who's also not Jewish. I think Jim Curley, dad, if you're listening, I think you'd get left out of that speech. He is listening, by the way. He listens every day. So let's play this cut. This is Joe Biden talking about his dad at this Hanukkah reception. <laughs> cut nine. My dad used to come home from work. He was a well-read man, never had a chance to go to college. And he'd come home before he closed down the business he didn't own, but he managed to go back and close it. He gets, you know, it's this, the, the telltale sign that you're getting old. 
is when you focus on details that do not matter at all. Like, you know what I mean? The, the momentum, you become the, your own momentum killer during a story. No one else is interrupting. You've got the mic. And you're like, well, the car wasn't really red. It was more of a maroon. Was it? Cindy, was it more of a maroon, would you say, or was it more of a red? Nobody cares. He owned it. He worked at it. He managed it. What is the point of the story? Did he ever finish that story, or is that the only cut of it we have? That he went on to other things. Yeah, Emma's shaking her head. Um, let's. We'll take your calls on this, by the way, so just hang on right there. But let's take a cut... I want to also take cut eight, please, Emma. Personally spent countless hours, and I mean it, probably up to 20 hours. He personally spent countless hours. Okay, let's go to cut. I want to play. I like the longer ones. I, Howie likes the short ones. I like the long ones. Let's go to cut six. I would like to hear him talking about BB. I've known BB for now 51 years. He has a picture on his desk of he and I when he was a young member of the Israeli uh, um, uh, service here, uh, foreign service. And uh, I was a 32-year-old senator. And I wrote on the top of Bibi, I love you, but I don't agree with the damn thing you had to say. <laughs> it's about- oh, I bet if you asked Bibi if he loves Joe Biden and he was being honest, he was under the hot lamp, I don't think he would say he loves Joe Biden. I don't think either of those guys love each other very much. Um, One other thing I wanted to mention here, and people want to discuss this, I had talked a little bit about this letter with David Harsani. It's an interesting story. It says 46, this is from Jennifer Griffin from Fox News. It says 46 former national security officials sign a letter, because that's all people do nowadays, just letters going back and forth. The world is burning, but let's all keep sending letters to one another. It says 46 na- uh, former national security officials sign letter urging Congress to reauthorize FISA 702 legislation needed to fight terrorism, fentanyl traffickers, and cyber attacks. And also needed to ruin the lives of people like Carter Page. We should add that in as the fourth thing. And here's the quote. They write, we cannot hamstring the U.S. intelligence community. Section 702 saves American lives. First of all, I think we should be hamstringing the U.S. intelligence community. Sometimes they need to be hamstrung. Sometimes they get a, in in case anyone missed the Russia hoax, sometimes they get a little too big for their britches. Sometimes they get a little out of control. Sometimes it would be good if there were someone there saying, eh, I don't think you're going to get that. I I don't think you're going to get that clearance or I don't think you need um, that wiretapping. I know that's not the correct the correct verbiage, but I don't think you need access to this or that. Sometimes they could use someone who could say no to them. And by the way, Section 702 saves American lives. It's also ruined a few American lives, as I mentioned. Just ask Carter Page. People have taken advantage. The same people, as David Harsani pointed out, who were urging Congress to reauthorize this, they have taken advantage of this in the past. They have ruined people's careers and ruined people's lives and put people in the hole who are trying to fight these legal battles, spending their entire life savings trying to fight these uphill legal battles because of FISA 702 legislation. And now they want to tell us it's important that we reauthorize it. Nick, you're up next on the Grace Curley Show. Go ahead, Nick. Hey, uh, well, it's been 11 months. I've seen the Republican Congress in action. Pathetic. 
The one person they should have gone after was Garland. He's the one that makes the crooked form of justice work. He would have ratted like anything to stay out of jail for 15, 20 years. We know it wouldn't happen under these people, but he would push enough evidence out there to make that happen. It's disgusting. We have barely nine congressmen and women that we could actually trust. The, the Republicans are double indemnity here. They're just as crooked. They're also gutless. Don't care about the country. You're letting the, the Pfizer thing go on forever. It only ruined the country, as we can see. And, and uh, one lawyer actually uh, committed a huge crime, uh, a, a felony, by, by changing a, a card of page regarding document from the CIA. He, he, he falsified it yep. so that they could, they could do the Pfizer thing on him, and it all exploded from there. So, and, the, and the FBI, they used the Pfizer to go after their own informants, which was a joke, who were enticing Papadopoulos and Flynn to talk. It's a joke. So the, the country is gone. It's just too bad that these people don't have the guts to put it out there for the people to see it. No, the Senate doesn't have coverage either. There's only nine of them, of all 100 of them, that would vote, vote the proper way to make sure that Garland would, would face prosecution. Yeah. And and you know what, Nick, we're going to talk to Howie about the abuse of the FISA courts, because that's something that he's very passionate about and he can speak to. But you're right. And some of the people signing on to this letter urging Congress to authorize this, it's like James Clapper, Michael Morrell, people who were on board with the the uh, letter that said that the Hunter Biden laptop had all the earmarks of Russian disinformation and never had to apologize, never had to correct that. They stand by it. They were completely wrong. They were lying through their teeth. They knew they were lying. They knew the laptop was real and they never faced any repercussions. And now they're going to get back on their soapboxes and tell us how important it is that we reauthorize these FISA courts and we let them do this all again and we let them abuse the system again and again and again. So that, God forbid, anybody gets into the White House who they don't like, and they can just weaponize the FISA courts against said person. And as Nick pointed out, we've seen it. We've seen it happen. And it wasn't 100 years ago. It was during the Trump administration. It was very recently this all happened. So we'll talk to Howie about that because he's really the expert when it comes to the FISA courts and how all of this works. One other thing I wanted to add in here before we go to break. Claudine Gay, there's a story in the National Review by uh, by Jeffrey Blahar, and it says, Claudine Gay may be in more trouble than she realizes. And it's it's all hinging, or it's all dependent on whether or not the dissertation that came came out recently, that Christopher Rufo broke that story that she had plagiarized, or as, as Harvard put it, inadequate inadequate citations she had inadequate citations in this dissertation now the question is as national review points out is that the one and only is that the only time that's happened because you know what's happening now conservatives as we are wont to do are weaponizing and pouncing and seizing and they are (laughs) if there's any other skeletons in claudine gay's closet they're gonna find them if there's any skeletons in her uh, in her history as a professor or in any of her writings, they are going to find it. We will be right back. We'll take more calls on this. Uh, Nasa Beach Inn just opened reservations for winter getaways. Jared, you've stayed at the Nasa Beach Inn. What do you remember most about your visit? I just remember the tranquil, peaceful feeling 
down there. Everybody knows the Cape in winter is great because it's not even close to as hectic as it normally is. It's quiet. It's, you know, a slower pace. And with the Nasser Beach Inn, you're actually on the beach. I mean, you're steps from the beach. It really was to just, you know, be able to sit outside by the fire pits or just on the beach. You hear the ocean waves. You can walk along the beach. It's pet friendly. So if you have your dog, your cat, you can bring them down. If somebody wants to walk their cat, you can do that too. Walk your dog, doesn't matter. Uh, You can see the stars, which is great at night because a lot of people in the cities can't do that. You can watch the moon rise. The sunrises are fantastic because, again, you're right on the ocean. It's the perfect place to get away, and this is the perfect time of year to get down there. Yeah, it really is, and you can't beat the price either right now. For under $200, you can have your winter getaway. It's a wonderful time to take a little break because this is this is the time of year where it's so special, but a lot of people miss it because they're busy, they're stressed, they're trying to check off their Christmas shopping list. You should soak in this time of year. It's, it's a really short time period between Thanksgiving and Christmas where you can have a little fun and enjoy a little bit of the magic, and there's no spot that's more magical than the Nauset Beach Inn. It's pet-friendly, as Jared pointed out out, cats, dogs, <laughs> whatever you want. Uh, and it's a great place to stay during school vacation weeks. To reserve your ocean view room, go to NossetBeachInn.com. That's NossetBeachInn.com. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is The Grace Curley Show. You're listening to The Grace Curley Show. This is The Grace Curley Show. In the last hour, I'll go through the top ten most annoying Christmas songs. I didn't think that the chipmunks would be up there, because I don't hear that one all that often. Feliz Navidad, I understand that. Um, but the chipmunk song, I like Alvin. I like his, he's rambunctious, you know, he's, he's a troublemaker. Hey, there's another story that I want to discuss in the last hour here, and this has me heated. So we just played some cuts from the Hanukkah celebration at the White House where Joe Biden, you know, he's claiming to be such a good friend of Bibi Netanyahu's. And then you've got Doug Emhoff tweeting out his ridiculous version of what Hanukkah is all about and then deleting it right after. It's just a disaster. And I'm sure that Jewish people across this country are looking at this White House going, what is going on? But this is from CNN. It says Biden pledges Israel support at Hanukkah event, but delivers warning on public opinion. So I wanted to see the actual quote here. And he says, we'll continue to provide military assistance to Israel until they get rid of Hamas. But we have to be careful. They have to be careful, he told the crowd. The whole world's public opinion can shift overnight. We can't let that happen. You know what I'm really sick of? I'm really sick of this administration being so feckless and being so concerned about public opinion. I'll tell you what public opinion is right now. Public opinion is that you are out of your mind, that you have no idea where you are, that you're a joke, that your entire administration is a joke. But how about just for a minute, pretending for a moment in time that you're doing things based off what you think is right, that, that you're, you're showing your loyalty to your ally, not because 
people in France or people in Germany or people in Egypt or people in Iraq might be mad at you, but because you think it's the right thing to do. How about leading because of that, not because of public perception of where you stand, not because of the angry students at Harvard. How about doing something because your moral compass is telling you to do it or you think it's the best decision instead of being so flippant concerned about public opinion? These are the same people who told us that the Taliban should consider their international standing in the world. They're, they're morons. We'll talk about that more when we come back. 